So, all right. All right, so um, for the next few weeks, um, we're going to be both sides of the, the, I don't know, divider, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. Um, so it's been, I think, what has it been? I actually, th- I thought it was, I had only been like five years since we did it, and I thought it's still a good time to come back to it. And Deloitte told me this morning it's more like 10. So we haven't looked at spiritual gifts intentionally for about 10 years. So was it 2000 what? 2003, so 12 years. So uh, it's probably a good thing to, to come back around to. Um, one of the Feel free to stop me at any point to ask a question, to get some clarity. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want this to feel like a sermon. I want it to feel like an interactive thing. So if something doesn't make sense, feel free to ask a question. Feel free to stop me, point it out, whatever that looks like. Um, how many, so I think probably most of you at some point in time or another have thought about spiritual gifts, right? Maybe not, um, but my guess is you probably have. How many people here have taken a spiritual gifts test? How many people found that helpful? Less. How many people here would say you are confident in your spiritual gift and that you're using it well? Whoa. Huh. Okay, I actually expected. Yeah, okay. All right. All right, what if it was just, what if the question was just confident in your spiritual gift? Or gifts, plural. Excellent. Okay, good. Good. That's more than using it well. Okay. Um, Today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about spiritual gifts a little bit differently than we have in the past. That doesn't mean the things that we've talked about in the past are worthless or are irrelevant. That doesn't mean that, of course, at all. It's just going to be a different angle to hopefully expand your understanding of what spiritual gifts look like uh, and what uh, what they do and how we should use them. Um, so in order to do that, I think what we need to get started with is Scripture. So uh, the first verse that I think what I, we have to always look at when we're talking about spiritual gifts is Acts 2. Um, this, does anybody know what happened at Acts 2, where this passage comes from? Pentecost. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and this is from Joel. It says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth below. So we see from Acts 2 that what we have here is we have this outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost. Something significantly different happens after Pentecost in regards to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we, we know that this passage here refers to us, that we're in the last days. The Spirit has been poured out on us. The Spirit came in us, uh, in, to each of us at Pentecost. And so um, we can understand that when we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're talking about this kind of thing, the Holy Spirit filling us up. But I think the, the second most important place to look when we're talking about spiritual gifts, and if we're going to understand exactly what they mean in, in kind of a more practical context, would be 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, through 14. So 1 Corinthians 12, you may, may know, is the passage about how we're all part of one body, that we all have different gifts, which being the spiritual gifts, to come together to be part of one body. And yes, I did say as well, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which does include chapter 13. So if you, I don't know, I'm sure you've all read chapter 13 before, because if you've ever been to a wedding, you probably have heard chapter 13 read. That's the, the passage on love. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast. 
Um, but what we don't often realize is chapter 13 falls right in between 12 and 14, which are both exe- about spiritual gifts, right? Hey, right? Lou knows that. Yeah. So uh, if I speak in both tongues of angels and men and yet have not love, I'm nothing. I'm a resounding gong and a clashing cymbal. The context of the love chapter is spiritual gifts, believe it or not. So, sorry, this thing is not staying where it's supposed to. I apologize for that. So I don't, I should have told people to get Bibles beforehand. If you want to grab a Bible, it might be a good thing. Um, We'll be flipping through different parts of Scripture. I'll read some of it. I won't be able to read others. But if you want to be able to look back, a Bible is a good thing. So, when we get started, I'll wait till... I'll wait just a second until more people grab some. Deloitte came prepared no matter what. An iPad. He can pull up the Bible right on there. It's good. It's good. All right. So 1 Corinthians 12 says this. It says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though we are many parts, though it has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we are given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they, were, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that, that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that it lacked, so that there would be no division in the body. But if the parts should have equal concern for each other, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 1 Corinthians 12. So it talks about how these spiritual gifts are given to work together, that we're all supposed to be together, we're all supposed to bring our pieces and work together to create one thing, one body, if you will. But the first thing that we need to realize what this passage says, and this part, I don't know if you've thought about before or not, but what we see here, and we see in other parts of the Bible as well, is that spiritual gifts are given to believers through the Holy Spirit. 
People who believe in Jesus, who have accepted Jesus, have spiritual gifts. People who do not, don't. And I don't know if you've thought about that before, right? Now, before everybody freaks out, um, we'll talk about some, put some clarity on that here a minute in, in just a little bit, but let's talk about this first part first. So we see that every, spiritual gifts are given only to believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about brothers and sisters in Christ being part of the body, right? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you what it looks like to be part of the Spirit. In, 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 later in chapter 14, it says the same thing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it's described as being baptized in the Spirit. As, be, as once you believe, then the Spirit comes and fills you, and you can do things. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit coming on people. They're able to do things. If the Spirit leaves people, they're not able to do things. Um, there are a couple exceptions, and you may be thinking of those, of non-believers getting spiritual gifts. Maybe Balaam, right? Balaam goes, he's going to, uh, supposed to curse the Israelites, but instead the Spirit comes on and he prophesies. Okay, uh, that's, but it does seem to be the exception, not the rule. There are a few of those examples. Otherwise, what we see here is that, uh, that it comes to believers. So in Acts 19.2, he said to them, Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Believing comes first, then the Spirit comes second. Does that make sense? So, are there any questions about that? Now, and there may be pushback, and I understand that, and we'll talk about that in just one second. But does the first part make sense? The whole spiritual gift is, comes, is a gift given by the Spirit to people who have accepted the Spirit and believe in Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about non-believers Absolutely. Great point, which is the second point. So why don't we go there, and we'll, uh, we'll deal with that. So this is actually what it says in my moat. Some of you may be thinking, wait a minute here. I know a lot of unbelievers who can do a lot of great stuff. So anyway, that was going to be the second point right off the bat. So that's, no, that's, that's what it says right there. So um, that's true. And that's where our first distinction is going to become. We, have a, we know a lot of people, and it actually says my second line is much of which looks a lot like what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. <laughs> that's, anyway, so anyway, that's actually said the exact same thing. So, we, know, we do know a lot of people, unbelievers, who can do a lot of great things. We know people who care for the sick, who are very good caretakers, yet don't have Christ. We know a lot of people who care for the homeless, who are good social advocates and don't have Jesus in their life. We know a lot of good teachers, a lot of good administrators, a lot of people who can discern wisdom and can do those kind of things who don't believe in Christ. That's, that's all real. But that's going to bring us to our first major distinction of the day. There are many places in Scripture... Um, that talk about how each of us who have been created in God's image have been given certain skills and certain talents, right? It's actually even all the way back at the beginning, the foundation of all things. God says to Adam and Eve, uh, rule over the earth and subdue it, right? And part of our created order is, is skills and talents to be able to do things. We're supposed to be productive. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to do different things. And so... Um, God's grace continually is given to both believers and unbelievers, so everyone who on earth has skills and talents. Some people are even incredibly skilled or talented. There are skilled teachers, there are skilled builders, therapists, counselors, hosts, uh, and you can go on and on. Everybody who's alive has skills and talents, things that they can do well. Does that make sense? So, so yes, we observe people who are unbelievers that can do very fantastic things, some of which uh, look a lot like spiritual gifts. I would argue that they're not, and I'll make that distinction in just a second, what we're talking about between those two things. Are we on the same page? Skills and talents. Everyone, you all have skills and talents. 
All people have skills and talents. Everybody who's alive has a skill or a talent or a combination of both. Okay? Okay, we're still skeptical. That's okay. We'll keep working forward, right? So the big question then is what is the difference between a skill and a talent and a spiritual gift? Right? That's the big question. That's what's kind of sitting here right now. The difference between a skill and a talent and a spiritual gift is that, like we've already said, a spiritual gift is something given to a believer through the Holy Spirit. Right? It's something that once the Spirit comes on and we're filled with the Spirit and we do things through the Spirit. There's a spiritual element to it. There has to be, because they're given by the Spirit. They're gifts given by the Spirit. That's what spiritual gift means, right? A gift given to you by the Spirit. There's a spiritual element. Uh, if it doesn't make you too uncomfortable, there's a supernatural element to it. Now, I know that pushes on the... That's what I said. We're going to be pushing on those edges. The word supernatural sometimes makes us nervous. If that makes you too nervous to listen to me anymore, go back to the word spiritual. Just use that, right? Um, we, have to, we do understand that we serve a spiritual God. We have a Holy Spirit. There are things that exist outside of our physical reality. And so that's what we mean when we talk about something that's spiritual, a spiritual gift. So maybe the best way to explain this concept is with a couple examples. If you've been part of a Bible study of mine before, I'm sorry that you'll get a repeat because I've said these before and so you get to hear them again. Uh, but if you haven't, then they'll be new. So I always ask the question, have you ever met a skilled listener? Someone who's skilled at listening. What I mean by that is that you've had a bad day or a bad week or a bad month. You've got a lot of things that you want to get off your chest and you know a person who you can go talk to. So you go to this person and you tell them, this is what I'm going through. They hear you. They hear you well. They listen to what you're saying. They can even offer some fantastic advice. You may walk away from that conversation going, God, I feel a lot better after that conversation. I, have, I know some things I'm going to do. I know some ways I'm going to put things back on the right track. A person is a skilled listener. They're very good at listening. What they offer is valuable. It's significant. But then the second question is, have you ever met someone who is a gifted listener? So you have the same kind of bad week. You're covered. You're saying, I'm feeling terrible. Things seem to be down. I need to talk to somebody. And when you talk to them, it's almost like they absorb that from you. It's almost like they pull it away from you. It's like they hear you and they care and then it, something's taken away from you. You leave that conversation not saying, wow, that was a really productive conversation, but it feels like a new day or a different day or things feel brighter or happier. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about when I say that? One of those people is a skilled listener. The other one is a gifted listener. If, in, in the one case, the person's skills and talents do make you feel better. They do, and they, they're worthwhile. The other case, the Holy Spirit takes something from the other person and is able to Brighten, to bring something that's not just a physical thing. If that example doesn't work well for you, maybe this one will. Have you ever met somebody who is a skilled or a talented host? So you go to their house, they invite you over for dinner, and they have a fantastic meal. So you walk in, the meal is delicious, things are organized, thing, uh, it, it, the night flows well, you leave, it was a great time, it was really, really nice. Skilled host, okay? Okay. Uh, that's, those are great things. Those are fantastic. I love going to good, put-together meals. Have you ever, in contrast to that, have you ever gone to someone's house who is a gifted host? Maybe, maybe the food's not as good, still probably good, but maybe it's not as good, maybe it's not as efficient, but you feel like you're at home. You feel like you belong. You feel like you're part of the family. You feel like something else is there, that you're just supposed to be here. Does that make sense? One person is a skilled host. The other person is a gifted host. Some person, they can make you feel part of the family. They can make you feel close, welcome, at home. You see the difference between the two? 
And we can do that in almost all things. If we're going to start talking about what spiritual gift is, you can look at certain people who have the skill or the talent in discernment. And then there are people who have a spiritual gift in discernment. And there's something else there with that. All right. So now this is to be the point. Yes. A discernment. I think a little harder. Um, I think that there are certain people that can see physical concepts, physical um, organizational structures really well, whether it be a jobs, businesses, whatever they can be a very talented uh, person in discernment. They can look at a, look at a big picture, break it into pieces and go, that's where it is and put it back together. I think the spiritually gifted one adds the spiritual element to that. They can see how God is related to all of that as well. Not just the physical pieces and parts, but the spiritual bigness of it as well. Um, and how that interplays with the entireness of reality. I see some skepticism. Yeah, go ahead. Um, not necessarily. And we'll talk a little bit more about exactly that towards the end. Did, well, skills and talents is don't, don't change. Those are something that you're built with, that you're given from birth, that you have a skill or a talent towards something. Um, in a little bit, we'll talk about spiritual gifts in the relationship to your skills and talents. And I think that might help with what you're talking about. Your skills and your talents will remain your whole life, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. Your spiritual gifts are given through the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, we, and that's the, the distinction difference that we're making. Um, and I, I will hit on that. I'll come back to you when, when we get there. Other thoughts? I'm getting nervous. You guys are going to run me out by the time we're done. <laughs> so the question, this, it's actually the next point, so we'll hit on what you were talking about. Um, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to identify your spiritual gift. How do you, how do you understand what it is? Um, but to wrap up this week, I want to talk a little bit more about um, what spiritual gifts are for. So like I said, each of us has skills and talents. And each of you, if you've accepted Christ, has a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. For some people, those gifts overlap. They're the same, okay? Very close to the same. Um, and, we'll, and I guess the jury's still out on this, but in, I'll give my own example uh, from my own life on this one because I think it works well. I'm not, I'm not trying to put myself up in a position here, but I think that I have a natural talent to teach. Now, we can, now, you can disagree with me after this is all over and say, that's not right, actually. <laughs> should recheck that a bit. Mm, I hope that's not the case. But I, I have a natural talent. I've been able to do that always. There are certain times, though, when I'm teaching, it's like there's something else there. That, so the things that I say hit harder. They hit where they're supposed to better. My thoughts are more put together. Um, and it's almost, it's almost like I'm not there. It's something working through me. Does that make sense? There are moments in which there's something else that rides alongside of it. It happens actually more for me in preaching because I don't think I'm as talented at preaching as I am at teaching. Uh, and so that it would be like there's something else that rides up behind it, right? For me, my t- skills and talents overlap in some areas. And so for, in the case of a person that you're talking about, a non-believer, it's, they could also have that come. So they could have, be a skilled and talented teacher. When they, when they accept Christ, they may find that there was an extra element that they, it's hard to explain because it's supernatural, if you will, or spiritual, if you will, that will come and enhance. Other people are skilled and talented in certain areas, and their spiritual gift is very distant from. I know uh, a few people from, when, we, when I talked about this kind of stuff before, who are incredibly skilled and talented builders. 
right? They have the gift to build things. I'm not that. So, so, so but they can build these things, and things look fantastic, and that's their skill and their talent. And yet their spiritual gift is in prayer. Okay? Now, I get that all things are related through our spiritual lives, and so it's not as mutually exclusive as we'd like to say. But you can see there's a little bit more distant there. Right? So teaching and spiritual gift of teaching and a natural talent of teaching right on top of each other, whereas building and a spiritual gift for uh, prayer uh, can be a little bit more separate. Does that make sense? Some people's spiritual gifts ride right on top of their skills and talents. Other people's spiritual gifts are a little bit more distant from. So I think that answers some of your questions. So if a person was a skilled and talented builder before they accepted Christ, they, may, they will remain a skilled and talented builder afterwards, and they may either enhance that. I don't know exactly how the spiritual gift that would work in that case, um, but I could think about it more. And they may be given something else as well. So all of a sudden their prayer life has got that. I mean, we know people, right? Certain people pray, and it's one thing. There are other people who pray, and you're like, what's going on? There's something, mm, right? You know what I'm saying? There are certain people who have faith. That just, is it that there's, we all have faith. There are certain people whose faith you're like, I don't even understand how that's possible. Have you ever met someone who's gone through the darkest of dark times and that their faith is yet unshakable? Right? Some spiritually gifted in faith. We know that's one of the things the Bible says, that no matter what, that God's in there giving them a special gift of having faith through all of these different things. It's, a, it's, it's unexplainable. It's a supernatural kind of thing. Okay? Are we all on the same page? Still. Okay. All right. So some, some people's spiritual gifts ride right on top of their talents. Other people's spiritual gifts are a little bit more dis- distant from. Now, one thing that we do know is that whether you're talking about a skill or a talent or a spiritual gift, we know that all things that have been given to us are to use for God. Right? And everything that you do, do it to the glory of God, whether you're using your skill and your talent or whether you're using your spiritual gift. Everything that you have is supposed to be given to God. If you're a good builder, build for God, right? And for others, too, just do what you're supposed to do. If you're a good listener, do that. If you're a skilled host, host. If you're a skilled um, discerner, do that. If you're skilled in anything, do it for God. But we do know that our spiritual gifts are to be used in a more specific way. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says that spiritual gifts are supposed to be used for the common good. 1 Corinthians 13, spiritual, the whole chapter, spiritual gifts are used to love each other deeply. And Paul actually says, if your spiritual gift is not used to love each other deeply, it's worthless. If I can speak in the, men, in the tongues of men and angels and yet have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. It's worthless. Okay? Spiritual gifts are meant to, uh, for the common good, meant to love each other deeply. And then 1 Corinthians 14 says they're used for the building of the church. So, our spiritual gifts are given so that the community of believers is enhanced or expanded, right? We're all part of the body. We all use that for the good of the body. We all are together in that. These gifts are meant to be used for God, right? And if they are, they're incredibly effective. So I want you to imagine with me for a little bit that we were all using our spiritual gifts in the way that we were intended to. So we used the two examples earlier. Imagine what it would look like if we had gifted hosts here, what they could do for the community at large. So, so there are times when the, our brothers and sisters in Christ are empty, are down, are out, right? A skilled host, a gifted host, I'm sorry, can recharge them, can't they? I'm going to bring you in here and make you feel part of the family. I'm going to serve you in this place. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Somebody who's brand new to the family, brand new to the body, 
can immediately be felt like they're at home. That's part of the gifting, right? That when you come in, you feel like you're there, you're at home. If our gifted hosts or hostesses were actually creating a space in which people feel welcome right away, what would that mean for the kingdom? What would it mean for us already in there? What would it mean for those coming in? Or imagine if the people that are skilled, gifted listeners, sorry, I can't mix my words. That's a bad thing right now because I made that distinction. Gifted listeners were, able to, were, were given an opportunity to listen where they should, where they should be. If, when, for the brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to pour out what they have and have the Holy Spirit take it from them. Where we could care for each other in that way, where we could lift each other up, or, again, those coming in from the outside with whatever baggage they bring can come and find someone and have them actually hear them and care for them and experience Christ in that. Or imagine if, if the people leading our church were the ones that were gifted in discernment, or, or, the, or people gifted with creativity or construction were, be, were able to go do those things in the way that they were supposed to. Or if those gifted with prayer would earnestly pray for the people and the ministry of this church. And I could go on and on with all of the different gifts. So if you've been around church a little bit in the last month or so, you've probably heard the phrase growing God's kingdom a lot, right? That's kind of what we've been talking about. It's next chapter stuff. We talked about it in church as well. That's what this is. When we use our skills, or when we use our skills and talents and our gifts together, God's kingdom grows in pretty unbelievable ways. Think of the apostolic church. People were using their skills and their gifts for Christ, and no matter what came up against them, nothing could stop it. People tried their hardest to stop the church. They tried to persecute people. They tried to kill people. They crucified people. They burned people. And yet the church still exploded because people were constantly and repeatedly meeting Christ because these people were experiencing the Spirit. It's just assumed throughout the entire book of Acts. When, you get, when you're saved, you get the Spirit, and then you start to use the Spirit. Right? That's the passage we looked at. Didn't you receive the Spirit when you were baptized, when you believed? Right? And so we've got this idea that if we can work, if we can discover what our gifts are, and we can use them well, the church and the kingdom will grow rapidly. Any questions on that? Am I still with everybody here? Um, because the spiritual gift, I think this is a lot harder than we, the spiritual gift is something that's spiritual, which means that it's, it doesn't, it's just, I mean, it's still part of the logical system and we can understand it within our minds. Of course we're supposed to, but there's something else there. Um, whenever you encounter the spirit, there's a really, there, there's, there's this problem of explanation. Okay. So what I've always described it, and I used to be a youth director, some Saturday nights on youth retreats, something always would happen, right? Something fantastic. One time we went on a youth retreat and we started our worship set at eight o'clock with a short message. And we had this long praise and worship time afterwards. Um, at about midnight, uh, the kids decided they wanted to stop. Okay. And we had scheduled it till 10. We actually even had an event planned after that. Okay. So we were supposed to be 11 o'clock. I think we're going to play glow in the dark capture flag or something like that. And so we had said to these kids, Hey, we're done. If you want to leave, you can. None of them did. None of them left, and they all went. The only reason we stopped is because the, uh, the drummer had an appendicitis, so he had to go to the hospital that night. All right, that's the only reason, only reason we stopped. And so we sat there afterwards, the three of us, there were three different churches there. The three leaders of us sat down afterwards, uh, the next day or so, I can't remember when, anyway, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and we actually just sat there and went, what happened? 
right? Like, how did that happen? Because kids were, kids were confessing things to each other. They were asking for prayer. I mean, it was just, it was one of those moments that you were like, ah, right? We, and we tried to describe it to each other, even tried to, to break down what everything meant, and we couldn't. Whenever the Spirit comes in that way, there's something that's, be, that's a little bit bigger than reality, right? You can, you can perceive it, you can sense it, you can understand it to a bit, but then there's a point in which you go, I got nothing, right? It's just, oof, it's just this, it was that, right? And that's the way we were trying to describe it. This thing happened, it was absolutely real, everyone collectively experienced it, and I think that's why we struggle a bit. The, the example I've often used is that it's like a, so you go, so you're on top of a mountain, and you're looking down at this valley, and it's gorgeous, right? And you can see all of these things, and you're just, your breath's taken away. So you snap a picture of it. And then I come home, and I go to you, Paul, and I say, look at where I was. And you go, oh, that's nice. You're like, no, 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 but you don't get it. Like, there was these clouds, and there was like, uh, and it was, ah. Uh, and you're like, yeah, the picture looks nice. You're like, no, you you get what I'm saying? So there was something about the experience that was bigger than what I can represent in words or a picture. That happens whenever we encounter the Holy Spirit. If there's something bigger than the way we can describe it, and so we're left without enough words. And I think this part of what John was talking about, if I were to continue to write books, I could fill the entire earth, right? Because there's going to be this thing that we, we're always going to be just short for words. We're always going to be just short of how to describe it, though we can capture some of it. So when we're trying to make those distinctions, and we're going to talk more about how we identify these next week, but, but that's always going to remain there and be difficult. But there are signs, there are ways that we can figure it, there are markers to put us in the right direction on, on how we figure out what that looks like. Does that help? Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, that, it is. Um, I definitely think that's the case, though that opens up another charismatic door that I don't know if I can do right now for the sake of time and because I've already pushed too far already. So, um, but yes, I think you're right. Any other questions? Yeah. It could mean it could mean that um, it, it seems to be at least. And I wish maybe I should have done more proof texting. But uh, when in my looking at it, and, I, and this isn't just me, to other people as well, it seems to be there's something to be given to you for you to give to others, right? And so there is a very individualistic element in the sense of it's been given to you, but then it's not for you; it's for everyone else. So I get what you're coming from with that. But there's something, there seems to be something special. And even in the passage of 1 Corinthians here, these gifts are manifested in all these different ways for the common good or for the building of the church or for the building of the body, right? So things are given to you specifically to get blessed other people. Um, and so I think that's, so that's kind of where, but it's, it's, your skills and talents are also given to bless everyone, right? Um, but this is a specific thing with a, with a more narrow purpose of just blessing other people too. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. 
Yes, sometimes our skills and talents cannot be spiritual gifts. Now, hear me say that. That does not mean they're worthless. They're not worthless. They were still given to you by God for, the, for doing good things, right? They're just different than a spiritual gift. They're still valuable. They're still significant. If you're using your skills and talents, keep doing that, right? That's, you're supposed to, for, in all things, with all things, do them for the glory of God, whether it's a skill or a talent or a spiritual gift. All right, let's do the last part, then I'll take some more questions as well. So the question then is, and part of, the, part of it is what we've already touched on with Paul, but this is another part. Uh, um, why aren't we doing better? Why don't we use the gifts that we were intended to use in the way that we were intended to use them? And so this, is a, this was a big part uh, as well. Like in all things, God gives us freedom and trust when it comes to the use of our gifts. God gives, uh, he does not force us to use the gifts that we've been given in the way that he told us to. Now, it was really hard for me to, to understand this, that if God's going to give me a spiritual gift, it seems like there should be strings attached. I'm going to give this, and it will only be there if you do A, B, C, D. It seems to me, as you read scripture, it's given, and you do with it what you want, though he's told you how to use it well. And whenever God tells you how to use something well, if you don't use it well, things go poorly, um, which we'll see in a minute. But it seems that in this case, too, that spiritual gifts are given, and then we're given trust to use them well. I've given you this gift for this, and now I'm going to trust you to do that. Sometimes we do it well. Sometimes we do it very poorly. Um, we could do, and then on Paul's point as well, we could do a whole nother week on being filled with the Spirit. So when you said, are we using 20 or 30% of, of the 100 I think the Bible is pretty clear that, yes, sometimes we are. It says, be filled with the Spirit so that your works can be even more effective, right? So there's, there are levels of filling of the Holy Spirit that are directly related to your giftings. Um, so anyway, he gives us these gifts, and then he gives us the, the ability to use them in the way that we will, which opens us up to the possibility of misusing them, right? If we're given a gift to be able to use one way, we can also, but we're given freedom to do with it what we wish, we could misuse it. And we have to be really honest here as well that the devil does play a part in this as well. And I, I'm not a person that says, well, it's the devil made me do it. So you can't, it's not an excuse. But at the same time, we've kind of already imagined what the church would look like if we used our gifts well. And we do have to understand that the devil can't afford to let that happen. If we were all using our gifts well, we'd look a lot more like Acts 2 than we do the modern church. Um, like, I said, like I already said, in the apostolic age, when people were using their gifts well, you couldn't stop the church. You tr they tried so hard, and they couldn't. And the devil can't afford for that to happen again, so I think he works pretty well to get, us, to get things confused. So the question then is, what does it look like when we misuse our gifts? I totally forgot to advance my slides. That's why I don't do slides very often. What does it look like to misuse our gifts? And I think the best way to understand this, again, is with a couple examples. So have you ever observed someone who has the spiritual gift of giving? Now, what I mean by the spiritual gift of giving, all of us should, be, should work to be skilled givers, where we can appropriately give our time in the way that we're supposed to, good stewards of the time that we have, good stewards of the resources we have. Um, and all of us should be working on that. And some of us are reasonably good at that, people who can give um, to something, and they may feel good afterwards. So they, they go, they give to an organization or a, to a person or whatever it may be. They put in a good day's work, and they leave feeling like they've accomplished something. Many of you probably know what I'm talking about with that, right? There are other people, though, that seem to be able to give and give and give and give, and instead of being empty, they seem to get filled. You know what I'm talking about? 
right? That they seem to, every time they give and they give and they give, and you go, aren't you tired? They're like, no, I want to find somebody else. Like, let's do this. Now, of course, physically, they eventually get tired. That's, that's not what I mean. But you, know, you get where I'm going with that. So there are people who are gifted givers, people who, can, who have a spiritual gift of giving. Have you ever met someone with that gift who's stuck in a relationship with someone who likes to take and 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 take some more? Right? That's, how common are those relationships? They're probably more common than, than they should be, right? They're very common. They actually, even the secular community rec- recognizes what they're called, right? What do they call them? They call them enabling relationships, don't they? That even, amongst the sec- even if you have no concept of spirituality at all, you can still recognize that relationship as being harmful. Right? That somebody gives and gives and gives, and the other person takes and takes and takes and takes. So you see... That what happens in those situations is that the person who is given, who's gifted to give, at first finds a lot of fulfillment in giving to the other person. Because, of course, their gift, the gift that they've been given is for the building up of others or another. So they first, at first they find fulfillment there. But the problem is that that gift of giving was not just for one other. It was given for the community of others. So at first the relationship works. At first, it, it goes, and they get intertwined. But then eventually, what happens? What, and, and probably, if it's given enough time, it doesn't even just stay neutral, right? It starts to decline, right? At, at first, the relationship works, but then the giver eventually gets burned out. They begin to feel like their gift is being wasted. It's unappreciated. It's empty, right? They're not finding that fulfillment anymore in those things. Uh, they can either become stuck or they can get burned out. They can blow out. There are a lot of different things that can happen, but it doesn't work well anymore. Because the gift of giving was meant for the building up of the kingdom, but, it was, but in this case, it was, used for the, it was misused for the superficial building of one person. When we misuse our gifts, things go wrong. We're given the freedom to do that, and we'll even experience some of the fulfillment that the gift is supposed to bring at first, and then it starts to diminish because that's why God told us not to do it that way. And like he does with all things he tells us not to do, he wants us to flourish. So he said, here's your spiritual gift. Use it for the building of the kingdom because you'll flourish and everyone else will flourish, and it'll be great. Maybe that example doesn't hit you as well. So what about this one? Have you ever met someone with a gift of discernment? They can see things others can't. They can break down complex concepts into manageable bits. They can help you give direction and vision, um, which is a gift, again, like giving that can be extremely helpful to the church. It can give us, it can give us guidance. It can give us, uh, help us understand God better. It can help us understand his purpose for our lives. We need those kind of people. But how many times have we seen that gift go awry? So when someone can see something others can't, it opens them up to a certain kind of misuse. What would that be? Pride, right? It's a big one. Pride is, it's easy to get caught up in pride. When a person can see things others can't, that person starts to, be, starts to think that they're the only one that can see anything, right? Or they start to feel more valuable than other people. I see things you don't see, therefore I am better than you, and I don't need you anymore. So you go away because I'm the only one that has anything that matters, and we start to build into oneself rather than everyone else, right? Which is essentially the definition of pride. 
person gets so consumed in what they see, they forget that they are not the head of the church. Christ is. And they start to tell people they don't matter. But this is something that's been happening for 2,000 years because it's what Paul is talking about when he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. But that's where the misuse can come in when somebody starts to use that particular gift wrongly. They can build into themselves, not everyone else, and things go really wrong. Does that make sense? So, what questions do we have then about that? Do we have any? Are the, the, yes, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop the misuse of them? Um, I think it's the way you stop any kind of sin, through love and prayer and direction, gentle correction, those kind of things, right? Yeah, oh, how do you personally stop it? How do you personally stop it? Well, you hopefully understand, you can get some understanding, then you, again, with the community of believers, we help gently correct each other. Um, there, the, almost any time we talk... You know, when I talk about things that are sins, and not, not, I'm not talking... Right. And that's why we need each other, right? Because uh, if a person who is stuck in a relationship of poor giving but doesn't have the gift of discernment, and someone does, they may look at that and go, listen, Jim, man, this is it's not working the way it's supposed to. And this person's gift would help build you up. That's the point. That's how we, as we all work together, as the whole body works together, the person with discernment can help the person who's misusing something else say... I think we're off. And gently correct. Right? Not this isn't. It's gently correct. How, hey, Jim, I think your spiritual gift here is being misused. And then hopefully because of the gift of discernment and, the, and maybe some other people come in, the gift of, I don't know, who knows what other things could be really valuable there that could all play in to make that situation better. That make sense? Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're not very good at this. And I'm, I'm not a counselor, uh, but I know a counselor, a few of them, and that is a hard relationship to break. I, I, I mean, right? If you've had experience with it, you know that you're not wrong. That is a very difficult cycle to break, especially the deeper and deeper you get into it. Um, I, I've seen enabling relationships, they don't break easily. Um, not that you want to break someone, but you may want to break the, the, um, and that's, and that's, and again, we went back to what, what the enemy wants is to make sure that that is something that doesn't ever work right. He doesn't, he's not going to try to make it easy for you to just fix it. And all, and that's the thing is with all sins, sin in the Bible, no matter what you're talking about, whether it's the use of gifts, whether it's the passions of the flesh, um, none of them are easily broken. The Bible describes all sin as bondage, as slavery, as chains. Right? That's something that needs Christ to smash or break or you're stuck. This is just another example of that. So, How's that sitting? If you're uncomfortable, this is a great place to not be uncomfortable anymore, maybe. Or always be uncomfortable and just don't run me out. I think I'm okay, maybe. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yes. 
Yeah, there, whenever we talk about spiritual things, um, we need to bring in all the different spiritual parts of the Bible, which some of which is exactly that, where the Spirit will sometimes say, nope, right? So in Paul's case, he thought it would be very good for him to go preach to Rome, right? And he said, this is where I should go. But the Spirit said, nope, Paul, not right now. We're going to go over here instead. Sometimes you may look to you to, by the way, that's going to be a sermon next week, Sunday, because that's what I'm preaching on. So anyway, there may be times when, uh, when it says, this seems good to me, where God says, no, actually, this is where I want you to use your gift. And we have to be very aware of that, which requires a relationship with God that's good enough to be able to discern those things as well. And that's the growth part, right? Um, and there's always grace given in that, and we, can, we will mess it up sometimes, and God is always there to help get us back on track. It is disciplined. It's hard to use. We can actually overuse it too, so we're so spread out that we don't care for ourselves. So, you know, the example I gave of giving was that it pours into one person. Well, then the other thing could be that it's so spread thin that it really pours into no one. It's another way the devil can mess it up. He doesn't care which side of the path we fall off on. Um, Good point. Any other thoughts, questions? Yeah. That's, that's, that's probably, right, that's, that's probably true. And I also think that we do need to be open for them changing or adding or subtracting, right? Uh, there's multiple places when Paul says, eagerly desire these. Um, and I think that you, your gifts that, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that suggests they have to remain the same always, right? That they, there actually seems to be examples in the Bible in which there's a, someone's gifted for a time and then they get a different one later. Right, um, which requires a relationship with God and maturity as well. So you're right. And there also are definitely times in which God takes certain people and says, hey, for the next 40 years, you're going to be a shepherd, and then we're going to go ahead and use whatever gifting you have. Uh, that's Moses, right? So hopefully you don't have to go for 40 years, but he did. So, Or David had to go run away for a while first, too. So actually there are quite a few examples of resting or pruning or growing times in which you're not out there. Very true. Yep, he had to grow and learn first. Yep. Good point. Any other thoughts? Yeah. No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I wonder... I've, and I don't have anything to back this up, but I wonder if that's what happens to some of the mega ministries, right? So um, some of the people on TV, right, where they, where they start out actually doing really fantastic things, and then exactly what you described happened. Then they start to think it's them, and things get really weird, right? We have to, we have to assume that God, that they're the, okay. Uh, I thought about this earlier. I'm still thinking about, okay, well, so... When I was, I spent time at Mars Hill for a number of years. Actually, that was a huge part of my life for a long time, right? I met my wife there. That's great. So I spent, and that was at the, kind of the height of Rob's preaching ministry at Mars. And I was blessed immensely 
that while I was there. I have nothing bad to say about my time at Mars when I was there. I, I really respected, appreciated Rob. Um, I wonder now, I don't know if you guys have heard about what's going on recently, uh, if what you just described isn't happening there too. Um, so I know for a fact the Holy Spirit was at Mars for a number of years. Not that he's not there now. Holy Spirit was with Rob, equipping him to do some spiritually amazing things. That's a better way to say it, right? He, he blessed me. He blessed a lot of people I know. He, his sermons cut here, like that almost undescribable way. You'd walk out going, I feel really hopeful and I feel super convicted. That's a really hard thing to do, right? Where you say, there's something wrong in my life that I need to change and I think I can do it. That's a, that's a gift, right? There's, a, there's something powerful in the Holy Spirit there. That was my experience at Mars for the five years I was there. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to speak to, the, to Rob's heart. Some of that was lost in the last year of his time at Mars, in my opinion. And I, that's probably too big of a stretch, and I'm not sure that's fair. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. But, but again... Sometimes that can happen. We can focus, hey, this was about me, and I'm not saying Rob did that or not. I'm not trying to, I don't know him, so I can't speak to that. But sometimes you're right. And I wonder if that happens with a lot of those mega ministries where I think some people, some of them then power on and say, well, obviously I'm doing well, so let's keep going. Others may, and maybe that was wise of him then to leave the spotlight for a bit till he finds what he's looking for. So, good point. Any other thoughts? Well, I, I know that that's a different way to think about it. Some of you may still be going, I'm not so sure about that, and that's fine. Um, I'm not asking anyone to blindly believe what I say without doing some thoughts or some thinking or some processing or some churning. Um, know that I also did that, so it wasn't like I'm just flippantly throwing out something that I just thought of yesterday. But at the same time, I, I encourage you to chew on it. I want to encourage you to, um, to think about it. If this pushed some of your areas out, pushed some of your comfort areas within your faith, that's an okay thing. Now, it's not the most comfortable thing, but I want to challenge you to keep thinking about it, keep reading about it. Um, if you go home today and you're saying, I really want to think more about this kind of stuff, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Read all of them. Read it all the way through. Read it a few times. Think about what he's saying there. There's an assumption in chapter 14 that, that tongues are going to happen all the time. And because they're going to happen all the time, make sure you go in the back when you're speaking in tongues so you don't distract people. Um, when John talks about the Holy Spirit in 1 John, um, he says, if anybody wants to know what's true, ask the Spirit. And then you go, well, John, can you explain how to do that? He says, no, nah, let's move on. Right? It's so assumed that the Spirit is there, that, he's, that, he's, that he's, you can talk to him, like Ryan talked about in the prayer one we did here, and the giftings that we can just ask him and we should know. Actually, John assumes that the spirits are so cold, there, there are so many spirits that can talk to us that we need to be discerning of them. And we may actually hear ones that we aren't supposed to. So I, I challenge you to think about those kind of things, to chew on them a bit, um, to identify what those will look like. Now next week, um, we're going to talk about how do we discover our spiritual gifts. What does it look like? How do, what does it feel like? Um, and I want to encourage you uh, to think about it this week as well. Think about what you've been gifted with. Get what, you, what God has blessed you with in that way. Um, even, maybe even go take a spiritual gifts test. Now, I, I hope I didn't come across too critical on spiritual gifts tests. Um, I think they can be helpful. I do think that there's a, uh, something that we should understand when we're taking a spiritual gift test, if what I've presented is right, um, that I think spiritual gifts, gifts tests sometimes can be better at identifying our talents than our spiritual gifts. There really is those, that distinction. Um, Spiritual gifts test can help you identify your talent 
better than your spiritual gift. Now, if those lie on top of each other, great. Then you found it. <laughs> You're right there. Good. And so some people find spiritual gifts really help, or spiritual gifts test to be really helpful because that's the way it is. Other people are like, God, that doesn't help at all. That it, I get that I'm good at these things, but that just doesn't seem right. Well, that may be you too. That doesn't mean the gift test is not valuable. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that it gives you something to think about. At least you can help identify what your talents are. And maybe we'll even point you in the right direction of what your gifting looks like. So go start that discussion. But like I said, I hope this talk has gotten you to think about spiritual gifts differently. I hope it's gotten you to think about the fact that these are something that's given by a Holy Spirit that's got immense power. Right? The, the, the Bible talks often about when you're filled with the Spirit, you're, you will have power. And we don't like to talk about that unless we're like real charismatic and we like to talk about it a lot. But in our circles, um, we don't talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, especially the power of the Spirit through us often. Um, but that's kind of, that's where we're brushing up against it here, right? Um, now, I don't want to go too far and say, all of a sudden, you're going to start healing people tomorrow. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but uh, probably not, but you never know. Um, it does say in the list we read today that some have the gift of healing. So anyway, if you have it, please come out of the woodwork. That would be great to have a healer here. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm not, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that was a half joke. Okay, anyway, so I hope it inspired you to think about it differently. I hope it inspired you to, to dream about what it might look like if we can start to discover what each of ours are. I think that, like I said, that if we could discover what our spiritual gifts are, if we could understand what they are and how to use them well, I think that this place would become a lot more like heaven than hell, and that would be a phenomenal thing. Um, I hope it also inspired you to think about whether you may be misusing your spiritual gift. Um, Jim pointed that out, and I don't know if you are or not. It doesn't matter. But uh, if you feel convicted today and you go, hey, I think I might be misusing my gift a little bit, um, that's not a judgment thing to say, hey, now you're going to hell. It's saying, no, hey, maybe there's a better way to flourish. Maybe, maybe there's a way to feel fuller than you are now um, to experience the Spirit more and the good things that he gives you. So if you've been convicted in that, that's great too. And um, if any of this has gotten you to think and you, don't, you still have a whole bunch of questions, but you're not the kind of person that likes to ask them in big groups, um, my office is there. You can come in any time in the week. You can come talk to me afterwards. But pray about it, think about it, and let's keep wrestling with it. Fair? All right. Any closing thoughts? All right. Hopefully, even though we got a little charismatic today, I'm still welcome and we can still be okay. And uh, you can all still love me in the spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for for bringing us together today, for giving us another time of worship, for a time that's, uh, that we can explore and think about different aspects of you, things that are maybe outside of the way we normally thought about things. God, I pray that, uh, that, that what we've heard today is actually from you, that, it wasn't, uh, that, that, that you bless it. Uh, if there were things that I said incorrectly or poorly, I pray that you eliminate those from people's minds and thoughts and myself, my own as well. Uh, and I pray for each of us to explore what it means to be in relationship with you. I pray that, that, that you... Uh, Revealed to each of us what our spiritual gifts are, to show us what you've gifted each of us with, show us a way to use that well, to use it uh, to your glory for the building of your kingdom, for the common good, and to love each other well. We pray all of these things in your Son's name, through your Spirit. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody.